Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Welcome to the It Could Happen Here's Practical Guide to Making Pumaculture Happen Wherever You Are. I am your host for this episode, Andrew, of the YouTube channel Andrewism, and I'm joined here with Chris and... James. Say hello. Hello. Hi. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having me. (laughs) (laughs) Technically, I'm the guest. Yeah, true. Well, you're going to walk us through this. I'm very excited to learn more about it. Yes. So I really see it as a a key component in our restoration of the earth. And so I find it necessary that regardless of what direction your individual praxis is going in where we're looking to specialize or whatever quote-unquote specialize i think it's still important to think about where your food comes from and think about ways that we can enhance and enlarge our food autonomy especially considering the multi-layering crises that are you know compounding these days permaculture was first coined as a tomb by permaculturist Bill Mollison 
it's a portmanteau of permanent agriculture and permanent culture. And it's the conscious design and maintenance of agriculturally productive ecosystems, which have the diversity, stability, and resilience of natural ecosystems. It's a way of integrating landscape and people, providing their food, energy, shelter, and other material and other non-material needs in a sustainable way. And just to be clear, the concepts, the ideas, the principles that make up permaculture have existed long before Bill Mollison was born, have existed in cultures all over the world. Bill Mollison is just someone who has, I guess, given it a spin for a modern audience. But these principles, these ideas, are things that have been in practice for thousands of years. Tens of thousands, even. From the approach to land management and settlement design to the whole systems thinking approach to nature, which can be seen in a lot of animist practices, it has a long history. And it's one that people who practice permaculture today, research permaculture, will inevitably uncover in their learning process. However, Bill Morrison first coined it in the 1970s as a response to the oil embargoes that were taking place at the time. By bringing together the traditional knowledge of a vast array of indigenous cultures and combining them with certain modern design and layouts, it created a a movement that is now um, spreading across the world. From every, on every continent, honestly. The way that permaculture views um, the world, views systems, it comes with an outlook that recognizes that all biological material is a potential energy source. The aim is to try to trap energy on your land and to use that energy in the most efficient way before it degrades, to create circular economies and cycles of energy that allow for an actual sustainable agricultural practice, which unfortunately has not been the aim of agriculture, especially industrial agriculture. And so permaculture represents a challenge to that status quo. The ethics of permaculture are primarily focused on care for the earth, that being all living and non-living things, care for all people, thereby promoting self-reliance and community responsibility, so that we all have access to the resources necessary for existence, and care for community, and specifically community, that allows us to be, to think of and approach our society in a way that benefits all people in all life. Recognizing that community is not just our neighbors. It's not just the people who live in our city or town. It is all the living things that incorporate our surroundings and beyond. The way that permaculture approaches um, design, it's a lot of its emphasis in mimicking how the natural world would attempt to stabilize. Of course, these systems take thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, even millions of years to fully develop and 
age and reach some kind of stable state. But permaculture seeks to learn from, you know, these old growth forests and these elderly ecosystems and accelerate that process to establish things that will last generations to establish spaces that will provide for the needs of people hundreds of years down the line. When it comes to approaching permaculture design practically, first things first to recognize is that anybody can take part in permaculture design. Anybody can take part in constructing these sorts of systems and it can be established, the basic principles can be established regardless of your circumstances, your individual climate or biosphere, because the principles are based on following what nature was doing anyway. One of the first principles involves the recognition of the connections in a location, seeing that a web is stronger than a single string, meaning that all of these different parts, these different moving parts coming together create something stronger than if each individual person, each individual creature is trying to move by itself. It also looks at the connection between waste and resources. We all know the old adage that says, you know, one man's trash is another man's treasure. But when it comes to ecosystems, we should really be taking it quite literally. Because the waste of one part of the system directly feeds into the resource of another part. Decomposing plants and animals directly feed into the fungal networks and flourishing of the next generation of plants and animals. As, and in that web, in that network, in, that, in those connections, we can also recognize principle two, that each element performs multiple functions. If we are, for example, keeping chickens, they can be a source of eggs and feathers and protein, of course, but they also produce mania and their daily activity uh, helps to aerate the soil. And they also provide insect control, um, allowing your plants to further flourish. Banana trees, they provide bananas, of course. They provide fruit. They also provide starch and mulch and protection and shade, and they hold water quite well, actually. When I had taken a permaculture design course a couple months ago, and one of the things that I had learned from the guy who was running it was that he had told a story, and he had done this, this project in Barbados. And in Barbados, he was called to uh, restore a sort of like an old sand mine um, because it had run out of sand. Well, it's close to running out of sand. And so the community that was reliant on that sand mine did not really have any direction um, because their economy, their local economy, had been so reliant on those jobs. When he came in, it's just like, and he showed the pictures, it's just this very, very barren landscape, very dry, very dusty. And I was honestly, in disbelief that something so dead, so destroyed, something so devolved could be as radically transformed as he had transformed it. Um, unfortunately, this is a podcast, not a video, otherwise I would show you the pictures. 
But the transformation was stunning. And one of the elements that he had used to transform that dry landscape into a lush food forest was banana trees. Because surprisingly, banana trees are very effective. Well, unsurprisingly, banana trees are very effective at growing quickly and providing shade to other plants. And so as these other plants are growing up, they have the shaded banana tree to protect them from the harsh sun. And so the banana trees, while they may not be the top dogs of the forest in the end, by the time the forest is fully established, because banana trees don't get that tall, they still are vital in that early stage in providing that function of shade that allows the rest of the forest to establish itself. That's really cool. It's very, very, very cool. <laughs> I would show you all the pictures after. <laughs> uh, is there like a place people could see them online, like at Instagram they could look up or something? Yes. So um, if you go on wasamakipumaculture.org, I believe he has the pictures up there. That'll be W-A-S-A-M-A-K-I permaculture.org. And if I remember correctly, he has the pictures on there. Yeah. Was it like a sand mine before or something? Yeah, it was a sand mine. Yeah, geez. Wow. It looks like there's no goodness in the soil in the first one. And then. Yeah. Yeah. At the end, it's and so thriving. to go back into the recording aspect. When it came to that project, a large part of it was just getting that life in the soil. So they were taking, they were getting mulch and mania from wherever they could get it just to give some life to that soil. They would grow certain like hardy, fast growing plants and then chop them down after they'd grown sufficiently. So they would die right where they lay and provide nutrients to the soil. And that process was what helped to build up that soil. Even before you had started planting the bananas and other stuff. And were they able, like you were saying, they were getting some of that stuff wherever they could get it. Like, um, were they able to get that, uh, that? Was it like considered a waste product, I guess, by the people they got it from? And so like, I know I have chickens and they obviously produce like manure and I'll put some of it in my like, vegetables that they grow but i'll just give it to anyone else who wants it um is that a thing that they were able to do there yeah i think people are donated um and i mean i would assume at least in trinidad i don't know what the case is in barbados but in trinidad there are bush trucks which pass every once in a while to collect whatever you know branches and cut grass and whatever people have put out um, from their yard work or whatever. So I would assume that they would have asked the bush truck people to, you know, bring some of that stuff to the site to help out. Because a lot of people, you know, they just put that in front of the yard waiting for the bush truck to pass. And so a lot of very good potential sources of like um, ecosystem building, that sort of, that so-called waste, the really resources gets wasted when it can really serve um, a yeah. lot of these kinds of projects. Yeah, that's very cool. Yeah. Yeah, there's something yeah. that like, 
I don't know. If, if you ever read UN documents about like stopping climate change, like they always have a giant section about circular about circular economy stuff and about sort of, I mean, basically doing this stuff, and then nothing ever happens and no one ever does it. And so, yeah, it's it's really cool that like this is a place where those ideas, which like are if if, if there's if if we are going to survive as a species with like most of us alive and doing well we're going to have to do exactly getting implemented yeah i'm uh i'm kind of reminded just on this sort of topic of uh i was in rwanda uh in like february of 2020 and one of the things that really struck me with this system of agriculture that they've devised where um they have paddies uh that they grow rice right like submerged and then in there there are living fish uh, and then above them, there are like little hutches with rabbits. And, and so like uh, the rabbit manure helps to fertilize what's growing beneath. And then like it's this kind of circular thing where I think they can feed some of the things that they cut off the the, the plants to the rabbits. And it's sort of like and the fish will help keep the water clean. I think they're like filter fish. I can't quite. Or yeah. The plants keep it clean for the fish. It was fascinating. I was like, this is amazing. Like they're not. As opposed to, I grew up on a farm, and like I'm very familiar with some of the larger arable sort of like growing uh, like grains in in the UK, and how the, you're relying on a ton of exogenous inputs. Uh, which I was just so impressed with the fact that they devised a system that didn't require those. Exactly, exactly. You really want to, of course, you might we will have to get external sources, especially in the beginning, as you're trying to establish the system. But the aim is really to have the system continuously establishing itself and expanding itself and maintaining itself. Yeah. Would it be a system that works mostly um, uh, with like uh, plant-based foodstuffs, I guess? Would, that seems generally oh, yeah. to be more sustainable. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, Mania is a really powerful source of, of fertilizer. Mm-hmm. And I think you can keep animals without, you know, eating them. Yes. Or using them anyway. If you just want to, you know. Because they, they make good companions and stuff as well. Um, yeah, that's totally fair. But yeah, yeah. I would say a, a plant-focused system could definitely work. And to sort of rhyme or align with principle two, which said that each element performs multiple functions. It's also important to have each function supported by multiple elements, right? So you don't want to get all your food from one source. You want to have a mix of trees and roots and short crops and cultivars. I mean, having all your food coming from one source is basically what we do now with, you know, these monocultures, with these, this industrial farming that has these fields and fields and fields that are so susceptible to pests and disease that we have to basically drench them with chemicals just to allow them to survive. Because, and the same guy who did the course, he explained to me like this. He said that when there's a system in nature and it's not in balance, they basically send out a signal saying, hey, this is not in balance. Come and fix it. And so these so-called pests, these bugs and stuff, they come to these aberrations, these freaks of nature, these massive fields of crops. And 
recognizing that this is not a sustainable um, establishment in the landscape. They try to try to optimize. Right. He calls them, he doesn't call them pests. He calls them optimizers. So if you have, for example, uh, excessive amount of a certain pest in your system, something's wrong with that system because those so-called pests, those optimizers are only able to flood your system because they don't have the mechanism, the system doesn't have the mechanisms in place to keep them in check. So you don't have the fauna, the larger insects and stuff in your system that will keep those pests in check. There's an imbalance in place and that's something that needs to be rectified. And there are different ways to rectify it depending on the situation. Another example, and this isn't um, from the Pumaculture Guide, Pumaculture Course. Another example was the, um, this, I believe someone was talking about the presence of wolves in some of the parks in, uh, in the U.S. and how reintroducing those wolves did so much to regulate the rest of the ecosystem, the ripple effects that had on the rest of the ecosystem, um, stabilizing the deer populations and stabilizing um, the beaver populations and stabilizing all these other different plants and animal species that you would think are not even connected to the wolves, but still their presence played a significant role in maintaining that balance. Yeah, go go watch how wolves change rivers. It's literally five minutes and it rules. Yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> I just like the concept of rewilding. Is that what, would that be a similar thing? Yeah, yeah. Rewilding is basically, it's, permaculture tends to be more focused on sustaining human communities in, you know, in a balance with the rest of the natural world. Whereas rewilding is more focused on helping to rebuild ecosystems outside of the human sphere. At least as I understand it. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet that's right up to $1,500 again sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in Ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park that's 1-800-GAMBLER Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. 
Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Fistle Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Hi, I'm Cindy Crawford, and I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty. Well, I don't know about you, but, like, I never liked being told, oh, wow, you look so good for your age. Like, why even bother saying that? Why don't you just say you look great at any age, every age? That's what Meaningful Beauty is all about. We create products that make you feel confident in your skin at the age you are now. Meaningful Beauty. Beautiful skin at every age. Learn more at MeaningfulBeauty.com. So with principle three, which was reiterate was that each function should be supported by multiple elements. You would want to get all your food from one source. You wouldn't just want to grow like rows and rows of trees or rows and rows of corn. You want to grow a mix of trees and roots and short crops and cultivars and all these different species and variations that would make up like an actual forest. The food forest is uh, an approach that a lot of permaculturists would advocate. And within a food forest, you would have, I believe, seven uh, major groups. This is sort of seven levels that create a sort of a, a beneficial system. On the top layer, you have the canopy, which consists of the large fruits and nut trees. They provide the most shade and they keep the whole area, the climate of the area stable. On that second layer, you're going to have the low tree layer, which has the dwarf fruit trees, the smaller fruit trees that would fall under the canopy. On the third layer, you would have the shrub layer where you'd grow, you know, your berries and other small, you know, plants. And below that, you have the herbaceous layer where you would grow different herbs and spices and things like that. And then below that, you have your root vegetables. And below that, you have, well, you can't really go below the root vegetables. But next to those root vegetables, you would want to grow your soil surface crops, your ground cover. Um, like there are certain running beans and stuff that would help to create a ground cover, which protects the soil and prevents the establishment of undesirable plants, which we call weeds. And then finally, the seventh layer is the vertical layer, which consists of the climbers and vines that would establish themselves on the low tree layer and the canopy. So if you have that sort of food forest system in place with all those seven layers, you're not getting each function supported by one element to getting it supported by many elements. The same goes for water. You don't want to get all your water source coming from just like the pipes and whatever water the government sends you. You want to have water coming from the rain. Uh, if possible, you might want to tap into the water table or you might want to, depending on your situation, you might have a stream or you might be on a hill, in which case you'd have water flowing down. And you want to find ways to trap that water. 
and to conserve that water so that it's distributed throughout your system. Unlike a regular home garden, part of the aim of a permaculture um, system is that it, just like in nature, it waters itself. It takes care of itself. And so you're going to have to want, you're going to want to have all sorts of different sources of water elements in place to provide that water. Same goes for energy. You would want to get all the energy from one source. You want to combine, you know, human power, animal power, uh, hydroelectricity if possible, solar power if possible. Basically, redundancy is very important. Redundancy is very important. And I'll say it again for emphasis. Redundancy is very important. (laughs) The next principle, principle number four, is that you want to approach permaculture with energy efficiency in mind, particularly your own energy. So on the more practical side of things, if you, you might want to do what my mentor, my guide had done, which was a zone and sector analysis. So basically you draw like a map of your space, you outline your daily patterns and the energies that come from outside your site, like wind and rain and flood and fire and pollution and noise and smells and all those different things. You want to look at how you move through your space. You want to look at how the sunshine passes over your space. You want to look at the view and you want to try to harness those good energies, whether it be the rain or the wind or whatever, maybe the sun and plant accordingly. You don't want to have sun-sensitive plants on like the south side of your property, of your space, wherever the space is. And you wouldn't want to have plants that need a lot of sun in the shade. You also want to divvy up your, your space once you've you know done that map of your space. You want to divvy it up into zones. So the first zone might be your immediate living space. The second zone would have an intensive kitchen garden. So our first zone would be a place of consumption and processing of whatever it is that your system is producing. It doesn't necessarily have to be a house. It could be a community kitchen or it can be a campus clubhouse. I don't know. It could be any space that you're using for consumption and processing. The next zone is going to be an intensive kitchen garden. It's a place where you'd want to grow the plants that cycle through more quickly um, the spices and the herbs and the different things that you would use on a regular basis. The next zone would want to have its focus on local support, community support and surplus. So this zone, um, the first zone is actually technically zone zero. The second zone is zone one. And so zone two, which is that sort of local support space, that orchard is we want to grow um, your fruit trees, your ornamentals. Um, you might want to raise your, raise animals there, and you basically want it to be a space where you can provide for the local community, separate and apart from your own produce. Zone three would also have the emphasis on production. Zone three would probably be the space where you have your main crops, the crops you spend a lot of time focusing on. Zone four would also have a lot of investment in establishing a sustainable sort of life cycle 
um, for more long-term plans. And zone five would be a space of wilderness, of forest, of wildlife corridors that allow spaces of rewilding even within your more constructed site. Having your system split into zones helps you to reduce the amount of work that you put in, the amount of resources you use, the amount of maintenance you'll need. And it also helps you to boost your yields and to recycle resources most effectively. The fifth principle is the use of biological resources. Natural insecticides, timber, nitrogen fixers, whatever the case may be, you want to be using the systems that have evolved to fulfill those roles, to fulfill those roles. You may or may not be afraid of certain creatures. I myself personally, I don't like frogs or toads or really, I don't like most animals. Personally, I just don't vibe with them. However, comma, I recognize the importance, right? So frogs and bats and snakes, all of these creatures help to provide like a stable system, whether it be snakes dealing with um, rats or bats dealing with insects or frogs also dealing with insects. You might also want to use companion planting as well, um, like the three sisters method, which is a combination of beans, corn, and what was the third one again? It's squashes. Right, and squash. And that would help to establish, you know, itself and maintain itself. It's sort of like a microcosm of the broader permaculture concept. And one that has been in practice for hundreds of years. The sixth principle is the practice of energy cycling. Trapping sunlight through greenhouses. Making the most use, basically, out of the energy that flows through your system before it leaves your system. Recycling the organic matter that passes through your system so that it produces no real waste. Um, when I was at this site, at the permaculture forest, I witnessed a compost toilet for the first time and was immediately grossed out by the concept. However, comma, upon being blown away by the product of those compost toilets. I changed my tune very quickly. And although I would not, I probably would not use a compost toilet on a regular basis, I think it has some benefit um, because we're flushing away some, some real power, some real nutritious stuff. Um, of course, there are risks associated with using human mania, um, but the process that he had put in place involved using human waste um, and then for every certain amount of human waste, you would dump sawdust on top of it. And that sawdust helps to deal with the smell. Um, so much so that I actually didn't smell anything when I opened up those, those compost toilets. But it also helps to create that balance between the carbon and the nitrogen that is required for compost. And so after that, um, after a tub has been filled, a compost toilet tub has been filled, he seals it up, leaves it for a year to break down. And by the time it comes out, it's just like regular soil. However, of course, safety precautions. I believe he only uses it for his orchards. 
So only like fruit trees and other kinds of trees. I spent a lot of time so far discussing these sort of larger systems where, you know, I'm basically assuming you have several acres of land like this guy does. I don't have several acres of land. I don't have an inch of land. Um, And I feel like a lot of people listening don't. So there are elements that you can incorporate on the small scale, such as grow boxes. You can have deep litter beds. You can have aquaculture systems. And that's actually one of the things that he first established, um, which is an, like a, a series of aquaculture systems. And it's actually one of the main focuses of his project to this day. But I was quite surprised as to the yield that could be produced from something as simple as a couple pipes put together with some tomato plants growing out of it. So, I mean, don't underestimate yourself or the space available to you because you might not be able to plant a whole forest, but you can do a little something. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Hi, I'm Cindy Crawford, and I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty. Well, I don't know about you, but, like, I never liked being told, oh, wow, you look so good for your age. Like, why even bother saying that? Why don't you just say you look great at any age, every age? That's what Meaningful Beauty is all about. We create products that make you feel confident in your skin at the age you are now. Meaningful Beauty. Beautiful skin at every age. Learn more at MeaningfulBeauty.com.
coming back to the food forest concept, the eighth principle is the use of natural plant succession and stacking. You want to group plants together that would give a continual production over time in both the short term and the long term. And like I established, you want to have those layers in place, the roots, the vines, the trees, etc. The ninth principle encourages diversity, encourages polyculture, which is something that I'm sure you would have picked up on by now. The 10th principle is increasing the edge within a system by creating unique niches that allow for the more rare, the more um, vulnerable corners of life to sustain themselves. And I think that's something that a lot of permaculturists do in terms of establishing their own systems. They have like a special focus or a certain passion project, a certain species that they just love and want to see flourish. And so they create these niches within their systems that allow, allow for those creatures to flourish. Principle 11 implores that you observe natural patterns. Nature rarely goes in a straight line and you may want to make that pattern whether it be spirals or waves or branches, whether it be patterns over time from, you know, the week to the month, to the year, to repeating patterns in the weather or the seasons. You want to be observing these patterns and adjusting your system continually. The early parts of establishing a permaculture system is certainly the most difficult part, but even five to 10 years down the line when the system is more established, more self-sustaining, you still want to be playing that role of tweaking it as you go along. And I think that's something that more people need to recognize about humanity. We didn't just spring on to hear like some sort of alien parasite leeching off of the earth, right? We, just like every other animal, like every other creature on this planet, have a role to play in the ecosystems we inhabit. Unfortunately, a lot of that activity has been destructive because of how our socioeconomic system has been structured. But that's something we all have a role in changing. And part of that is recognizing that we are stewards, so we, we, we can be good stewards. We can help to facilitate the flourishing of life. We don't have to be grim reapers upon the systems that we are a part of. And so even as you're late, quote unquote, in these long-term projects, 20 years, 30 years, you're still going to be tweaking and cultivating and hopefully expanding these systems over time. Principle 12 reminds us we got to pay attention to the scale of these systems, to the long-term of these systems, recognizing that this is something we want to establish over generations. And finally, principle number 13 is be positive. Experiment, small, learn from your mistakes, scale up, bring in more people, get involved, get more of your community, of your social circle, of your family, of your affinity group, of whatever the case may be, get more people involved um, in imagining this complex, beautiful, revolutionary project. We have a long way to go, 
but a lot of progress can be made in a short space of time. And there are a lot of projects already going on with this end in mind. I would suggest just going online really and just searching for the different permaculture projects happening around the world. Whether it be the food forests that Jeff Lawton is working to establish in Morocco or the permaculture permablitz systems that people are putting in place in Australia and, or the greening the Sahara projects in the Sahel region across Africa or the many small-scale projects taking place and large-scale projects taking place across the Americas. There are a lot of people putting in this work and there's a large community um, willing and able to support as you hopefully embark upon this journey. That's about it for me. Yeah, that's, that's fascinating. Um, I'm really interested in this stuff. I think, yeah, it's, it's massively missing in our discussion about, like, I don't know how to phrase this rightly, but, uh, like, making a better world, just to give it a really broad sort of phrasing. Uh, and when we often think about, like, political discourse and when we think about political systems um, but without food systems we we really like the our hierarchy of needs is not satisfied right and uh i, I think that folks listening uh can make a really positive change really really quickly and in their own lives and spaces if, if they sort of spend some time with this stuff yeah absolutely and it's cool i think um and important too to reference that like so much of this, like we're, we're, like the person you named at the start, whose name, I'm sorry, uh, I've forgotten, but like, um, I think, yeah, it's important to reference that like these are indigenous ways of, of knowing and doing and being and living. And the, like you said, they've existed for millennia and like going back to that is good um, as part of a larger sort of way of respecting indigenous cultures and land rights and all the other things we need to do. 100%. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. 
Tired of pickup truck bed chaos? Meet Decked, game-changing USA-made full bed-length drawers for tools and gear. Waterproof, dustproof, lockable, secure. Whether you're working, hunting, fishing, camping, or just getting out of town. And introducing Decked Deco cases. Tough, modular, problem-solving cases built for the truck, job site, campsite, or garage. Say goodbye to random bins and tie-downs. Order now at Decked.com slash iHeart for free shipping. Decked, your truck, your rules. Decked.com forward slash iHeart.